Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing good? My name is Pastor Derek. If you don't know who I am, I just want to welcome you to Connect. Everybody warm? If you don't, hug your neighbor. Say, warm me. Turn your neighbor. Say, warm me. That's what my wife always says. Warm me. Sticks your cold feet right up the back of my leg. Oh, you just have to suffer for Jesus for that. But anyway, happy wife, happy life, right? Amen. You can get your worship guides out. You can follow along on version as well. Um, our whole bulletin and worship guide is inside there. I'm so excited you're here for the second installment of our series entitled Firepower. I like to say firepower, right, with a little bit of attitude, right? So last week, um, well, first of all, what did the fireman say when he saw the church on fire? Holy smoke. Anyway, that's bad. I just had to see if it went better in the second service than the first. But anyway, we've been talking about firepower and encountering the, not just the power of the Holy Spirit, but the person which precedes the power of the Holy Spirit, the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has gotten a bad rap. It's one of the most uh, you know, mis, you know, represented, misunderstood members of the Trinity. There's a lot of misconceptions, misinformation about the Holy Spirit and a lot of bad press out there, in particular in the United States. In other words, in America in particular, whereas the rest of the world, the global church, the evangelical church in the world is a evangelical empowered church, which means there's been a merge or a marriage between what last week I talked about, this, this word and this spirit. This, there's a, there's a, in the evangelical community, there is typically a bent towards one or two lanes in America. Instead of seeing them tethered one to the other in a truth balance, you see a separation. You see this uh, actually, this kind of uh, lobbing bombs at each other. We're right, we're right. No, you're wrong, you're wrong. And we have the right answers. Yeah, but we're seeing stuff you've never seen in your life. And, and all that's been happening in America for over 100 years. And it's created a divide when actually God wants to see the two come together, find that balance and that plumb line between the two, whereas we could see if, we do, if that does happen, maybe the greatest revival since Pentecost when the firepower of the Holy Spirit is restored to the church in America. Can I have an amen? And so in the word emphasis, there's this preoccupation with apologetics. You know, uh, the Bible tells us to watch our life and doctrine closely in the book of Titus. It's important. It tells us to study, to show yourself approved. A workman does not need to be shamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to know what the Bible says. It tells us to have an answer for the hope that's within us. All these things are true, and, and I, I believe in those. But then on the other side of the church, we have the spirit side of the church, which realizes that God wasn't just meant to be understood. He was meant to be encountered. I'll just let that sink in. That's kind of a Sila moment. God doesn't want to just be somebody we study. He wants to be somebody we come to know and have intimate relationship with. And he didn't come to bring a religion. He came to establish a connection between us. Is everybody tracking with me? He's somebody to be experienced and somebody to help us in this life. So Jesus came to restore the vertical connection, but the Holy Spirit came to help us in this horizontal, crazy, nuts world in which we live right now and bring back to us some of the dominion that we lost before the fall of man when Adam, you know, kind of messed up. And so the Holy Spirit's here to help us. He's our advocate. He's our, he's our helper. He's our comforter, as we talked about last week. We could all sometimes use a little comforter this morning because <laughs> it was cold. But, but the Holy Spirit's there to help us. 
And sometimes we're not seeing him that way. So what I tried to do to introduce the series last week is say, don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' words for it. And so last week, how many were here last week for the message last week? Raise your hand. Good, 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 good. If you weren't, go online or go to YouTube and just download last week's message, My Silent Partner, because he wants to come along and help you. And Jesus talked about this person, not this it, this force. No, it's person of the Holy Spirit that wants to be with us in the here and now. He talked about it from John 14 all the way to John 17. Like in the last week of Jesus' life, it was the most important message clearly that he wanted to communicate. And if you were to communicate something and you knew you only had a week to live, you probably would be downloading some more important things than, you know, old family recipes and let's go to Chick-fil-A on Friday night. We would be taught, no offense to anybody who likes Chick-fil-A, I love Chick-fil-A. The member, you know, of our church is the manager of Chick-fil-A. We love Chick-fil-A. I feel the Holy Ghost when I say Chick-fil-A. <laughs> but I'm saying there would be way more important things that we would talk about. And Jesus, in, in the final week of his life, because he knew it was the final week, spent a lot of time. That whole week, the Last Supper, he talked about the Holy Spirit. Literally hours before, 9 a.m., the next day, he was on the cross. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit right before that. Then he dies, comes back to life, shows up on the earth. He's there for like 40 days. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Then as he's ascending into heaven, he talks about the Holy Spirit again. The Holy Spirit was a big deal. And he said in John 14, he said, trust God, trust me. So I'm not telling you to trust me, Pastor Derek, or anything somebody would say. I'm saying trust Jesus' own words. Look at it for yourself with a fresh lens. Clear the, the mud. I don't know about you, but I had to clean my windshield yesterday because of all the salt and dirt. And just let's clean the windshield of our faith and allow God to speak to us through his word and through the words of Jesus. And that's what we did last week. Is everybody tracking with me? So it's important that we be encouraged by this relationship with the Holy Spirit, but it starts with a fresh, clean windshield. Here's our big idea for the series. It's not in your notes, but we talked about it last week, is that the Holy Spirit is not a dry doctrine to believe, but he's a person and a power to receive. And so in this series, we're starting with this person of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the fact that he has characteristics of a person. He's, it's, it's a, he's a him, not an it. He has a personality, he has a mind, he has a will, he has emotions. You can grieve him, you can quench him, you can upset him. And, and, and we're also going to talk about what the Holy Spirit can do in our life and how he can empower us. And today, I want to talk about that. In 2 Corinthians 13, it's a bonus scripture, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It says this, it says, The amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God wants to have an intimate friendship with you. We believe in God the Father. Have no problem with that. He's my daddy. We have no issues with God the Son. Jesus is my elder brother, we say. My intercessor. He's my mediator. You know, and, and, I, and I love that. But sometimes God the Holy Spirit, we're like, hmm, here's the Heisman Holy Spirit. I don't know about that. But he wants, he's God on the earth for us. And he wants to have an intimate friendship with you. And it's through that relationship and that friendship that you will begin to understand the many aspects, characteristics, and even gifts of the Holy Spirit. But you need to start by trusting Jesus, see what God says in his word, and then establish this relationship and friendship with him. And let me tell you where he leads you is going to be awesome and powerful in your life. Amen? Today I want to talk to you, though, about the holy of the Holy Spirit, okay? The holy of the Holy Spirit. In other words, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to purify you. The purifying work 
of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Deed did a message a little while ago about the subject of temptation. Didn't he do a great job on that, by the way? Can we give it up for Pastor Deed? He did an awesome job on that. And I thought I would piggyback a little bit more on that because it's such a stronghold or struggle area in the Christian experience. We struggle to overcome some of the issues and problems that we have in our life. And so the Holy Spirit, one of his roles is to purify, to cleanse. It's a big word coming up, sanctify you. It's, it's, so God didn't just come to save you, work this out. He came to sanctify you so you can live this life right. And be in right standing with God, but also right standing with man in the process. Look in your notes at Luke 3, verse 16. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, speaks of what Jesus is coming and Jesus is going to say. He says this, I'm going to baptize you with water, but there's one coming more powerful than I am. I can't even wear his shoes. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with, everybody say it. Let's say it strong. And with? Fire, okay? So fire in the scriptures oftentimes symbolizes purification. Purification. It's like refiner's fire. Fire is used to, to pull all the impurities out of sometimes precious metals like gold and silver and bring everything like the dross to the surface. The same is true in our lives. It, it's gotta, the heat's got to come on. It's got to go deep inside us and pull those impurities from the inside out of us. The refiner's fire of the Holy Spirit is there for you in relationship with him. And John is saying he's going to send Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to give you that fire. That firepower to overcome some of those issues in your life. And I know that I'm going to be speaking to people in this room as believers and as pre-believers who struggle in and of themselves and with themselves. And had you been alive during this time, you wouldn't have never heard something like this before. This was all new. It was new territory. They were kind of new terms because up to that point... Nothing internal uh, had taken place or that was going on inside to help people do what's right and to follow God. In fact, it was all external. It was a set of rules. You lived by a code or you lived by, we know them as commandments. Imagine, and I think you can, imagine how difficult or miserable it would be to try to get everything right from the outside in. Meet the standards, meet the obligations, meet the objectives from God from the outside in. It, it created a, a very difficult um, a life and lifestyle for people. But God, at this time in history, was introducing through the, through the Son of God, but also the Son leaving and giving us a power in a person to help us and give us a new motivation that would come from the inside out, not from the outside in from this point forward. Is everybody up for the snack? Everybody paying attention? Okay. And so it wasn't any longer a religious thing. It was a relational thing. It was totally new. It was different. And so now in the future, this new motivation where you aren't made to do it, suffer to do it, you actually would want to do it. It, it, it changed from, we say this a lot at Connect, this isn't a get, this isn't a got to, it's a get to. It's not a have to, it's a want to. Even with giving, we don't see, giving is not, a, it's not an obligation. It's an opportunity. That's why we don't even pass a plate, because we want people to want to do it. Let's take away all the notion of we're after something. God's not after, with money, he's not after your money. He's after your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart be also. He wants it to be a want to, something you do. That's why he says in Colossians, this is all bonus, but he says, set your affections on things above, not on earthly things. Because if we set our affections on earthly things, we're going to get earthly results. But if we set our affections on things above, we're going to get a totally different fruit and a whole different uh, outcome that comes from that. Amen? 
And I don't think the crowd grasped at this moment. Some of you might not even grasp what I'm saying at this moment, and that's okay. But the tragedy is this, and I'm going to speak at this point to, to Christians, people who call themselves Christians, is that there are many New Testament Christians living in an Old Testament code, an Old Testament uh, commandment-type lifestyle. You've received Jesus. You believe Jesus is the Son of God. You believe he paid for your sins and he died on the cross for you. You might even believe he, was, he rose from the dead and he was resurrected. The Bible says if we don't believe in that, our preaching is even useless. So it's important to believe those things, and I agree with that. But you've never allowed what Jesus was trying to give us as a gift, the, the work, the firepower of the Holy Spirit to help you from the inside out, give you that new motivation, that new code, that new type of living. That's what the New Testament is. It's a new way of living here on the earth. And God wanted to place something, or I should say someone inside of you to help you with that. And until you embrace the power of the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit, Christianity can be a tremendous struggle. Very frustrating. It's like just keep hitting the lid, trying to get out, and you can't get out of it. Some, some people come to church, and, and, and they find it depressing, you know? I was talking to a guy at the gym recently, and I was asking him, you know, hey, hey, man, he was telling me about his kind of religious background. I said, well, why is it that you stopped going to church? He says, you know, he says, if, I needed, if I needed to feel bad about myself, I'd just call my mother-in-law. <laughs> I don't need that anymore. Another guy told me, you know, when I'm talking about church, he says, oh, I did that already. I did that already. I did that when I was a boy up to such and such a point and went through this whole little ceremony thing and I was done. See, it's just, it's just seen as a check a box, cross a T, dot an I. It's a religious thing to these people. It wasn't a lifestyle thing. It was a legal thing, not a lifestyle thing. It was a religious thing. It was not a relationship thing. It was an obligation, not a daily opportunity, you know. It was a one-time talk. It wasn't a daily walk with God. You want me to keep going? <laughs> it's a disease. <laughs> so we, it, God wants us to have not this have to or this rules thing but, but, and get out of this struggle, but scores and scores of what I would call pre-believers who want it, but they look and say, I don't want that. And they have scores of people who are believers who are living in this struggle. And they're advertising as walking billboards this brokenness, this incongruency, and people want something different. And Jesus came to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, I must go, so he will come and he will help you. But many of us are not letting him help us. And so this message is dedicated to those who genuinely love God, and you're trying to do the right thing, but you're frustrated. And so without that internal motivation, we try to do it from the outside in. We go to a certain point. We fail. We get condemned. And in that condemnation, we advertise that combination, condemnation excuse me, in different ways. And then that communicates to people, you don't want what I have because look at how I feel. Look at how I look. Look at how I behave. And so this routine of religion and church, and especially true, let's say, in southern, the southern belt of the world, is people say, you know, they come to church, or you might have even done it today. You messed up last night, but you come to church to kind of get it right today, only to go back out Monday by noon and go right back to the same old thing. Come in and worship, oh God, I love you, you're first, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and you work it out, you work it out. By the third song, you're feeling good. By the fourth song, you know, you're just, oh, I'm back, it's awesome. Then the message, woo! And then you get out in the parking lot and somebody cuts you off and you're like, bleep, 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 bleep. Come on, let's get real. Everybody get real. Turn your neighbor and say it's getting real in here. It's because we never let something take place on the inside of us. We're doing things on the outside. And as a result, you know, can I tell you something? It produces some mean Christians. 
Mean. Have you ever met some mean Christians? Like, I mean, you can just see it. You know what I mean? Like their face, they just, you know, they just look, they sing angry. I'm a warrior for Jesus. Ah! You know what I mean? And they pray angry, you know, and they, they just talk angry and they quote scripture angry. And you're around them. I mean, they look like they were just, you know, weaned on a pickle and bathed in vinegar and just, uh, uh, you know what I mean? Angry Christians. And I believe, you know, this is very common in the church today. In my theory, the Christians evolved to this because of the struggle and because of the frustration of not being able to live the life that they see that God says is possible to live because they haven't embraced the only one who can help them live that way. And so they get to this point where they get mean. And, and I th- my theory is that most Christians are upset because they can't sin, but they want to. It's just like, I can't because I know there's an ultimate consequence for that. And so since I know that and I don't want to lose that, I don't want to lose my fire insurance, but I have given up the fire power to be able to live the life that I'm supposed to live while I'm here in the process. And as a result, I'm mad. And then I advertise that mad to everybody else. It makes them sad, and then they don't want to have what we have. Man, that's good preaching right here. I'm just throwing myself. Okay, so that's all I want to say. I remember a guy who went on a, uh, he went this years ago, he went on a missions trip to New Orleans, which I wouldn't recommend. He went to Mardi Gras. Why do I say that? Because they were all talking about all these testimonies and testimonies, and God did this, and God, God didn't do anything. They were all drunk, and they just say yes to everything you want. Can I pray for you? Oh, sure, man, you can pray for me. I love bleeping Jesus. Jesus is my bleeping best friend. It's just, he's incongruency all over the place, you know what I mean? Oh, I can pray for you, and all this kind of stuff. So one time they get up to this one guy, and uh, he's, he's, they're witnessing to him, talking about God, we want to share God with you. Can, you know, can we talk to you about Jesus? And he's all mad. He's mad because I am a Christian. I, 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 you know, I bleep and love Jesus. And so he's all mad. And so finally he's like, you don't have to tell me about Jesus. You don't know something. My daddy, he was a, he was a demon in the Baptist church. And the guy was witnessing him going, didn't you mean deacon? And the drunk guy's girlfriend said, no, he meant demon. Because Christians can be mean, you know what I mean? They can be really, really mean. That's what happens with this struggle. We either give up and get depressed, or we get angry and advertise that to other people. So the truth is, some of us listen to this and think, well, that's not me. But if you don't get this worked out on the inside, it can be. It can evolve to be something... That, that happens in you. And the people that, that are on the outside looking in, we advertise he wants you in church. No, he just wants you and hopes you meet him in church. Right? But we're sometimes communicating, join the club. And people go by and they go, look at, all the, look at the church and all those church people there. All doing all those religious things. That's not what we should be communicating. We should be communicating that God has provided for us a gift, the Holy Spirit, a helper who can help you not be better than them, but better off because he's with us here and now. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise for that. Amen. Amen. God wants to put his firepower in our lives. Let me try to illustrate it this way. I was thinking about this yesterday and... I'll just use my relationship with my wife. My wife's in the service. And, and, and in order for me, this is an illustration, in order for me to remain faithful to my wife, I have been and I, and I will be, right? But in order for me to remain faithful to my wife, what I could choose to do if I wanted to be successful, depending on the lens and windshield that I look through, is I could, 
I could make myself obey the commandments regarding marriage and relationships. I could do something that ensures externally that I stay on that straight and narrow commitment, contractual relationship with her. should be a covenant, which is different. And so I could have and hire somebody to follow me around as a personal relational trainer. 24-7. Don't look at her. Ha! Slap me in the face. Don't go over there. Ooh, slap me in the face. If I say it, don't say that. You shouldn't say that. You know, every morning, a couple slaps first thing in the morning just to make sure I'm awake and paying attention and not going to the right. Right? Pay, shell out the money. You owe me the money because this is part of your duty and responsibility. And it shows you got some skin in the game. Right? And I can have them go around the everywhere to make sure I'm relationally on track, make sure I'm emotionally on track, visually on track, right? This personal trainer in my relationships, and that's their job. How many know that's unsustainable and completely miserable? Right? Miserable. What, what we're doing in our faith without the Holy Spirit is just like that. It's just like that. It's precisely what it's like. When the fire of God is at work within me, when I put fire Wood on the fire in my relationship with God, it's completely different than trying to externally control my behaviors. Oh, don't look that way. Oh, don't look that way. Oh, my gosh. Whoa, look that way. It is a war. It is a struggle. It is incredibly frustrating. But if I focus on keeping the fires burning between, oh, yeah, it's Valentine's Day, baby, between Stacy and I, then it, the focus of that changes everything. Now I don't think those thoughts. I don't desire those things. I, don't, I will never act on those. It's the furthest thing from my mind because my heart is, is towards her, not my external behaviors as deterrence to keep me from going away from her. It's my heart that's longing for her, uh, going towards her, emphasizing relationship and love for her. Does that make sense? If you love me, you will keep my commandments, John 14, 15. Amen? And so that motivates and stimulates godliness, holiness, and purity. Hebrews says, without holiness, no one sees God. Amen. So God wants to baptize us with a new spirit. He doesn't want us carrying around stone tablets, this weight of the commandments. Even Moses couldn't hold them. He dropped them when he got mad. And they broke. It's true. You can look it up. It's true. It's true. Okay, so we want to carry around tablets that are written on our hearts, all right? Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 30. I won't read this for you, but it goes through all this list of behaviors that you and I as Christ followers should keep. Put off falsehood. Don't do this. Put on this new attitude. I'm, I'm reading this. I'm going, yeah, I know. I tried. I did that, but then I failed. Oh, I already woke up angry. Forget about it. <laughs> then at the end, it says, and grieve not, what? The Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God. So there's two ways that we can try to manage our behaviors. We can do it externally or we can do it through an internal motivation that is fed by the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And many feel frustrated and experience this kind of frustration. In 1 Thessalonians, it says this, and here's kind of why. 1 Thessalonians, it says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Who puts it out? You and me. We put out the Spirit's fire. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come in and go. That's Old Testament. He'd fall upon people, the fire would fall, and then he would leave. In a New Testament, he stays unless we put him out and say, get out. He stays. He stays. 
Proverbs 26 tells us that fire goes out without wood. When we quench the Spirit's fire, it means we've allowed that fire to go out, that fire to die. I can allow the fire to go out between Stacy and I, or I can keep putting wood on the fire to keep it alive. We were in Vermont recently having a little excursion. We work hard. This is our philosophy. We play hard. So we were going away, and we were up in the mountains of Vermont, somewhere in the Woodstock area. I can remember we lost cell service. The phone stopped levitating. You know what I mean? It was like a beautiful time. And uh, we're just kind of focused on the, the surroundings and just having some quality time. I remember looking around. Stacy was driving. That's a weird thing we do, but uh, she, uh, sometimes I just love it when she drives. And, and I'm looking at all the houses up in the mountains and this beautiful topography that we're in. And one of the things that I saw was that everybody had a wood stove. I mean, everybody had a wood stove. And then outside, there'd be cords of wood, uh, piles. And then there would be another section where it's all stacked, nice and cozy and tidy and clean. And it was clear that there was continuous use because the fire was burning. You could see the smoke coming out of the wood stove. And you could see tons of wood in preparation to be stacked to then be brought into the house, right? Then we got back home to the city. Didn't see any wood stoves. Not many, anyway. And occasionally I'd see some wood outside, but when I did, it wasn't stacked nice and clean. It was covered in ice and snow, and it's not usable. Is everybody tracking with me? And I thought of a scripture in, in, the, uh, in the word that says, In the last days, the love of most will wax cold. It will wax cold. There's this default as we live in the days we live right now where many will quench the spirit by not keeping wood on the fire. Many will quench the spirit by not keeping wood on the fire. Wood is not a works thing, but wood is a devotion thing. Wood is prayer, affectionate prayer and communion with God, not a duty or obligation to prove to God something. It's, a, it's an experience with God. Wood is praise where we get up every day and we just express our love and our affection for God. Wood is worship where we're just telling God how much. Wood is serving. The Bible says to, to serve God. Keep your spiritual fervor, fire, you keep it, serving the Lord. How do you do that? Keep the wood on the fire. You got to keep the wood on the fire. The fire sometimes goes out because we put it out. And if you do, God will sometimes, sometimes if that happens because of his great love for you, he will allow certain trials to come into your life so that you'll go looking for wood. Some of you don't realize what I'm saying right now. Sometimes there's a trial. You might be in a trial right now. He didn't cause it, but he's allowed it to happen. So you'll go looking for wood. So you'll have fuel for your prayers again, fuel for your relationship with God again, to bring you back to your knees where you realize you need him. You need him even when you don't think you need him. You always need him. But sometimes he'll remind you that you need him, that you need the fire of God in your life. Amen? You can write this down. This is kind of bonus, but it says sometimes I have to kick an outline out way earlier, and so all this stuff comes later, so hopefully that's okay for some of you. But this, I wrote this down. The Holy Spirit gave me this, so, so I don't want to take any credit. But when you grieve the Holy Spirit, it's something you do to him. When you grieve the Holy Spirit, it's something you do to him. When you quench the Holy Spirit, it's something you do to yourself. And I'll unpack that more in the coming weeks, but when you grieve the Holy Spirit, it's something you do to him. When you quench, it's something you're actually doing to yourself. When you put the fire out, you're hurting yourself and those around you. I was studying redwood trees in Nevada. Sequoias is, the, I think, the more specific uh, name for these particular trees. And these trees, um, they've been doing generational studies on these trees, and they have determined that the successional growth of these redwoods, they're the biggest trees in the world. One, one of them, the, big, the largest tree in the world in uh, the Sierra Valley of Nevada is 44 feet wide. 
Okay, so it's an incredible tree. And, but what they're seeing is they're dying off because man has come in and tried to control all these forest fires and put them out with chemicals and all different kinds of things. And it's cleaning up all around the trees, all the brush and vegetation that can become toxic. And, and, and then, of course, with educational programs like Smokey the Bear. Come on, somebody. Uh, all those, so we put out fires. So man is putting out fires all the time. And as a result, these trees are not growing up strong and healthy, and they're not uh, seeing the succession of them. How does the succession come? Interestingly enough, the reason that these trees generationally keep coming back is lightning from heaven comes down and starts fires. Those fires are small fires that clean up all the brush, burn around these trees, doesn't kill the trees, actually makes them stronger, so the cones on the top drop, seed the ground, and germinate the continuation of life, in particular those trees. Without the fire from heaven, those trees will not continue to grow. But man comes in and tries to manage and control those things and stop those things from happening. And I was thinking about that. And I think it's the same thing is true of the church in America today, in our generation. Many are satisfied with their programs, their social clubs, their small groups, their tidy, comfortable belief systems, their preoccupation with success masked in Christianity and so on, and having the process, not a pursuit of God, but a pursuit of man's approval. And they've denied, as it says in 2 Timothy 3, 5, the power that could make them godly. And they have a form externally of godliness, but they don't have the fire of God on the inside out changing them. Can I have an amen out there? We need to get away from that and invite the fire of God. We need the lightning from God to come to the earth again and not quench the spirit or put the fire out or try to control it with our man-made efforts. The Bible says, do not put out the spirit's fire, but instead may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. This is an inward work it's speaking of. Let God begin this, and he does it in three areas of your life. May your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this war in our soul. There's a Greek word for the whole soul. It stands for your spirit, mind, and body. It's called sozo, but it just basically all of you. But there's another Greek word sometimes for soul, and you have to look in the original language to understand this. I know this is a little heady, but it's called suke. It's referring to your mind, your feelings, your will, your emotions, and so a lot of the places that the enemy will try to attack us is in these parts of our life. And the first one is when our spirit is drawn away to idolatry. Everybody say idolatry. Idolatry is when we worship anything other than God. Or we put God less than other gods. This is a part that God does not like. And he wants us to reorder our life to reflect that he is the first priority in our life. But when we don't, our soul becomes sick. We become unhealthy souls. And one of the places that it shows up the most, especially in America today, is the God of money or possessions. It's where, this is how we can quench the Spirit's fire in our life. Look at Luke, excuse me, Matthew 6, 24. It says this, no one can serve two masters. There's nobody that should master you except God. The only master you should have in your life, according to 1 Corinthians 6, is the Holy Spirit. So no one can serve two masters. He will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted, see that, devoted to one another, to one, and, excuse me, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and capital M, money. That's referring to it as a God, a small g, God. So, so this, this preoccupation with that, this bent towards that will quench the fire of God in our lives. It will leave us frustrated. Anybody that's serving that ultimately, eventually, will live a frustrated, painful life. 
if that's their God. It's, a, it's an eventuality. Ask any, any very, very wealthy person they're, person, they're extremely stressed out because they have to manage everything they've built on, they're trying to maintain because they've done it not by God, God and God's grace alone. Here's our second enemy, and this can quench the spirit, is again in our soul or our mind, this emotion, will, feeling side. It's drawn towards pride. Everybody say pride. Pride has many different faces to it, but pride is simply an unhealthy view of oneself. It's an unhealthy view of oneself. It can play out in different ways. We can, pride can have a, a front. We put on a front. How you, you know, come to church. How you doing, blessed? How you doing, blessed? You ain't blessed. You know, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know what I mean? And then we go out of church and only minutes out of the parking lot, you know, that's negative emotions and negative feelings and anger and judgmentalism and even the opposite end, depression and despair and those kind of things can surface in our life. It's because our souls can be unhealthy, this war, because the fire, the fire of the Spirit of God is not helping us. And many people think and resist the Holy Spirit and think he can't help us because they think he's weird. People are weird. The Holy Spirit isn't weird. They think he's, he'll make you a nutty person, make you chaotic. I would just say this. Show me one scripture in the Bible where that's the case. Because that's not what I see. In fact, when we invite the Holy Spirit into our life, we receive as a byproduct or result of the fruit of the Spirit. Actually, the gifts of the Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of the, of the, fruit of the Spirit are all connected. They're all interconnected. And so the fruit of the Spirit, look in your notes, the fruit or the result of this, this gives you a cleansing of your soul and you begin to manifest new behavior like love and joy and peace. Ooh, that sounds like chaos to me. <laughs> Patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I could use some self-control. That's what the Holy Spirit brings you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Everybody, who would want that, Right? So we, we instead sometimes get into this negative mode and, and, and we don't rely on him. And as a result, we come into an environment like this and we leave and then we do some crazy things and we say, why did I do that? Our pride, the other enemy, doesn't want to admit it, but by ourselves, when it's just me and God, we're like, oh God, why did I do that? Sometimes I've said this in the past. I'm like, who are you, Derek? Who are you? Look at how you're thinking. Look at how you're acting. Look at what you just said. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is it just me? Just, it's just me, I guess. It's just me. Okay, good. Some other people like that. Because it's a war inside, right? Okay, so this is, this is what can happen in our life. Here's the last area. Our body is drawn to lust. Our body is drawn to lust. Now, it's not always a sexual lust, so don't get nervous, but it does apply. It simply means your body is king of the hill. It's ruler of the roost. It's large and in charge. It's calling the shots. It's in control of you. Your body's in control of you. And for some of you, there's a war in your body, in your members, in your, you know, this, this allurements, uh, you know, are taking control of you. You have allowed your, your, yourself to be, in, es in essence, possessed with this desire, uh, this open door of physical pleasure. There's a tremendous stronghold in our culture today amongst non-Christians and Christians for pleasure. And it's created a tremendous amount of frustration and pain inside of us because, because whatever you build it on, you're going to have to maintain. And when that game system is not as exciting, we've got to get a new one. And you can apply something in your age bracket, in your phase of life. When this doesn't satisfy, then we have to have this. And it just keeps going and going and going. Before you know it, you get to the top of that mountain and you realize there's no more, there's no more trees to climb. There's the, the, the view up there is not any better than the view down here because we've been climbing the wrong ladder. 
right? We're a different person sometimes as a result. Because, and the truth is we want that stuff, but that stuff is trying to take over our lives. Have you ever noticed how much easier it is to, um, to live the way you want to live when you come to church? Just think about this. You come to church, and it's for some reason, all of a sudden, it's easier to talk right, act right, think right. You worship right. You know? You, you, you look through a different lens, as it were. And, and I think we think that it's because we think there's something special about this place. Can I tell you something? There's nothing sp- we, We're, like, oh, we're going to go to the sanctuary. Some people call the, the auditorium here the sanctuary. I used to call it the sanctuary. We need to go to the sanctuary of God. <laughs> Can I tell you something? This is not a sanctuary. According to Scripture, there is absolutely nothing holy about this place. According to the New Testament, this is the sanctuary. You are the temple of God. The only thing holy or that should be holy is in you, is in you. What if we viewed this this temple, the same way we viewed this, what would the result be? Maybe you'll get a realization or revelation as a result of that. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know? Apparently not. Apparently. It's, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. What would it be like if we treated our own body like this building? What would it be like if we treated our own temple like what we call the temple of God, the sanctuary of God? One guy guy told told me that, he said, I understood what the temple of God was, and I had a buddy with me who was a few pounds overweight, and I I said, I'm the temple of God. You must be a megachurch. (laughs) When I was a principal... Uh, in school, we have a private Christian school just next door, and I used to, we used to have middle school and had all these teenage boys. They'd always stay after to ask me questions. All of the questions had a particular subject that they were interested in as they were, their hormones began to rage, if you know what I'm talking about. And they would come up to me and they'd say, Pastor Fry, Pastor Fry, they're looking around, make sure nobody's listening, no girls around, they say, how far is too far? And my first response was always, whatever it is you're thinking. <laughs> and they'd walk away like, oh, dang it. <laughs> they were all so bummed out about that. And, uh, but they wanted to know, how close can I get to the line and still be okay with God? You know, how close can I get? And, and I would just say to you, if that's your lens of Christianity, is that how you view Christianity? How can I, I want to keep all the rules but still have fun. I still want to be okay with God, you know. I want to I make sure that there's no consequences, but I still want to have the pleasure and joy of doing these things as much as possible. Then our view is external, not internal. Our motivation is wrong. And people sometimes ask me, they say, PD, is it okay if I do this? Is it okay if we do that? And I, I think to myself, why are you asking me that? You know, Because if I say, no, it's not, then you're going to go away and you're going to say, well, PD said it's, it, it's not okay to do that. And if that's your motivation, good luck. Good luck with that. You know what I'm saying? But what if, what if we said, Holy Spirit, what do you say about this? What do you think I should do? In light of my beliefs, in light of what I say I believe with regards to marriage, in light of what I say I believe with regards to my, my relationship with my wife, in light of what I say I believe in regards to my finances, is this the wise thing, Holy Spirit, for me to do? Let me tell you something. That will change you because you're talking to him, a God. You're not talking to a man. And when you have God involved in the equation, you're going to get a very different result. Can I have an Amen. Big difference, big difference. So let me say, the holy, 
of the Holy Spirit in me, it was prophesied about in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and following. This was his Old Testament prophecy. And I believe Ezekiel wanted to see this, but he was just the messenger of what was to come. We are living in a day in which he, which he could have lived in. And he said this to the New Testament church. We live in it today. I will give you, that's us, a new heart. Speaking of salvation. And put a new spirit The Holy Spirit's indwelling in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. That's like carrying around the commandments. I will remove that. I'm going to take away the burden, the obligation, the legalities, the weight of all that external pressure. I'm going to take that away from you, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. Uh, And I'm going to put my spirit in you. Look at this next part. And move you. Everybody say move you. I like to move and move it. Okay, sorry. I'm going to move you. This is, move you to what? Follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In other words, I'm going to put a new motivation in you. The Old Testament was prophesying about a new deal that you and I would get through Jesus, his son, before he left to give you the ability, the motivation, the stimulation to do what's right because you want to, not because you have to. If you'll invite the Holy Spirit, he'll burn away all that junk in your life. Will you still sin from time to time? Sure. But, but you'll sin less because it's not outward focus, it's inward focus. In fact, let me say it this way. When you struggle with sin, it's simply an indictment of your relationship with God, not a loss of self-control on your own. So if things aren't going so well out here, it's because things aren't so well right here. It's just like if things aren't well between Stacy and I, things aren't so well here. These two are tethered to each other. There's a connection between the two. So, so are you supposed to work harder? No. You're supposed to love more. So what do you do? You invite the Holy Spirit into your life. This is what it looks like. Three quick solutions that don't, have, don't just have quick results. They have sustaining results. The first one is this. Invite the Holy Spirit to show me. Everybody say, show me. I don't, I don't think we should ask God to, to be our judge and jury. That's not what he wants to be. But he wants to be the, the lamp on your life. He wants to put light on darkness. You can't deal with something that's dark in your life until there's light put on it. You can't see what's wrong in a room and know if you're going to trip over something until you turn the light switch on. Why is this the first step? Because you cannot change what you cannot see. And so the Holy Spirit's there to kind of stick his finger in that situation, to put his finger in your eye and help you see what you cannot see. Sometimes it, kind of, sometimes it pokes a little bit. It can hurt a little bit, but it's better coming from him than it is from your spouse. Or from a preacher whacking you over the head every Sunday morning telling you what a bad person you are. That's not going to happen here. But I'm going to do everything I can to get you to the Holy Spirit so he can show you because he's way better than I am. And it's his job to bring about you. It's part of his job description to convince and to convict us of sin. Not my job. It's not the church's job to police and monitor everybody's behavior. No wonder people don't want to go there. It's like going to the police department and living down in the jail cell all day. Let's go to church and just go into the jail cell and be reminded what a bad person we are. Woo! That's what people think about church, right? So we got we to gotta let the Holy Spirit talk to us, and then he'll cause us to back way up from the line. See, when you, when you let the Holy Spirit talk to you, and I let the Holy Spirit talk to those young teenage kids, basically what happens is he'll show them, he'll pull them way back from the line, point them to a different motivation. For example, we used to take kids on the missions trip. On the way to the missions trip, all they're talking about is girls and guys and, and, and how, to cr- how close to get to the line. And they're talking about pleasure this and game system that and doing this and doing that. You, you contextualize it for your phase of life. By the end of the trip, 
Nobody's talking about that. Nobody's preoccupied with who likes who. Nobody's preoccupied or when I'm going to get to do this. Nobody's pro- talking about the next party they're going to go to. All they're, they're on fire for God. And not only that, they are so back from the line, they don't even care about the answer to the question. They don't even remember the question anymore. Because the Holy Spirit changed their motive. Is everybody tracking with me? Changed their motivation. So ask God to show you. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way and lead me in the way everlasting. Church, I dare you to pray that prayer this week. He'll put his, he'll put his finger in your, in your side. It won't be the Pillsbury dough kind of finger. It'll have a little poke to it, okay? Here's the next thing. Once he shows you, then invite the Holy Spirit to change me. Everybody say, change me. Psalm 51 says, created me a pure heart. This is the miracle that only the Holy Spirit can do. External is man-made. Internal is God-created. He creates a new heart. He puts a new spirit in you. He renews your mind. He changes you from the inside out. If you ask him to show you, he'll show you. If you ask him to change you, only he can change you. He created you. He's a creative God. He can make you new. You know, you know, sometimes what, the, the, the parallel would be when you're dirty, you go into the shower, you come out of the shower, you know that feeling that you have? You just feel clean. It's nothing like a clear conscience. It's nothing like having right standing with God, a clean heart with God. See, in the Old Testament, it was just, it was all about deal with the consequences, deal with the consequences, deal with the consequences. But in the New Testament, according to Hebrews, it was all about conscience. It's something internal that people want. And when you have that internal clean, that purity, you feel powerful. I think purity and power are partners. And so God wants the holy of the Holy Spirit inside of you so you can experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Many people are not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit because they haven't meant the holy of the Holy Spirit in their life. And God wants us to have that. Galatians 5 tells us this. So if that's what you want, I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the sinful desires or the sinful nature. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, this is a journey. This isn't just a talk. This is a walk. We keep in step with the Holy Spirit. We keep putting wood on the fire as we go forward in our faith. Can I have an amen? Amen. Number three, invite the Holy Spirit last. Once you've asked him to to search you and show you the things that you need to show. Once you ask them to create in you, basically you're in a position where you're empty. The Bible says that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be, you'll be filled. You'll be filled. So now the Holy Spirit comes in because you're ready for him to come into your life. And basically we go from, I want an ankle deep Christianity that I can control and and, and, a knee high or a waist high where you just, I'm surrendering. The only person that I'm going to surrender control to now in my life is the Holy Spirit. I'm giving up control to him. I'm letting him fill me. That's why it says in Ephesians 5, do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery is an excessive preoccupation with the five physical senses, selfish pleasures. And you let go of all of that. You don't surrender to wine and spirits. You surrender to the Holy Spirit. God's not saying you can't drink, saying don't be drunk. That's excess. But come over here and be filled, and you can go all the way with the Holy Spirit. And there's no sorrow in the morning. There's no worldly sorrow. There's just sometimes we have a a godly sorrow because we make a mistake, but he pulls us back right away, quick. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the last fill in the blank. So one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit that you need to know and I hope you walk away with today is to put a Holy Spirit in me. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to put a Holy Spirit in me. 
When you're done, you can put your worship guides away, your notes away. And I would ask that you stand to your feet. I want to pray for you before we go today. I hope the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. I know he's been speaking to me all week getting ready for something like this. Thank you, Jesus. Would you just mind closing your eyes and bowing your heads? We close our eyes sometimes not because it makes us holy, but it just helps us look at our heart. I want you to just have a moment where you look at your own heart and you ask, you ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you speaking to me? Maybe you need to ask the Holy Spirit those three things. Show me. Show me what I can't see. Is there anything that's getting in the way of you and me? I give you permission to search me. If you pray that prayer, he'll show you some things. And then you just do like David. You just, you just confess your sin. You, get, you just repent of it. The Bible says that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just. He'll remove that sin, cleanse us of that sin, take it all away, all that unrighteousness. He's so faithful to do that. But some of us, we've been trying to do this thing by ourselves, without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And maybe it's time to stop giving the Holy Spirit the Heisman and invite the Holy Spirit into your life. If you know you need more of the Holy Spirit, the fire of God to purify, to sanctify, to cleanse you in your life, would you raise your hand and just say, that's me? I need more of the Holy Spirit. Good night. God bless you. God bless you all over the room. Amen. Amen. You can put your hand on. That's awesome. Maybe you're here today, but before you can receive the, Holy, the gift of the Holy Spirit, you have to receive Jesus because Jesus is the one who's going to give you that. And so to come into relationship and intimate fellowship and friendship with the Holy Spirit, you have to come into relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. And you need to get right with God yourself. And I'm not going to call you down front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out of your seat. But right there in your seat, between you, God, and me, if you're ready to give Jesus Christ control of your life and invite him into your life, the Holy Spirit will make that possible. He'll make that connection. He's the one that does that. If that's you, boldly, would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I don't want to leave today before I've done that. God bless you, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, that's awesome. Yes, sir. Anybody all the way in the back, that's awesome. Yes, thank you. God bless you. That's awesome. If you're listening online, you respond as well. There's no distance in prayer. God hears and sees your heart where you're at. I want you to pray this prayer with me. That second group, would you pray this prayer? Say, all, all the church, please join them. Say, Jesus, come into my life. I need you. I want you to replace my heart of stone where I'm trying to do it by myself through religious behaviors with a heart of flesh so I can do it in relationship with you. I want to be in relationship with you. I invite you, Jesus, to be my Savior and Lord. Now, I pray for every other person that's here today that wants more of the fire of God in your life. I pray that you fill every person with the Holy Spirit. That not one person leave today, Lord, that you didn't show them, you didn't change them, and you didn't fill them. I pray they go away here today with more of the fire of God in their lives in every single way. Lord, we're starting a journey. We're going to go one step at a time. Each week, we're going to get a little more. We're going to come back a little bit more hungry. Every day, we're going to get up, and we're going to come more and more into that friendship and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Something is beginning where the, the lightning is falling again in the church of Jesus Christ in America, in our area in our region, and also in this church Connect Community Church. We're not going to put out the Spirit's fire anymore. Come on church, agree with me. We're agreeing that you have, you have the opportunity, God, to put your fires back and do what you want to do. Sanctifying us and purifying us and cleansing us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big praise all over the world.